okay, like let's look at the eating disorder community and there's people speaking about white thin privilege. What does that actually mean? And like, why do I have that? And how can we change that? Welcome to Equip to Recover, where we explore the intersection of recovery stories and eating disorder science to show you that recovery is not only possible, it's worth it. I'm Christina Safran, and today I'm so excited to be joined by actor and activist Amanda Crew. You've seen her grace the screens of numerous television shows and movies and is best known as the female lead in the HBO series Silicon Valley. And Amanda has sat on the board of Project Heal for many years now, so I've been so excited to call her a friend and co-conspirator in this work. And she's passionate about using her voice to advocate for equality and equity and accessibility in eating disorder care. She's helping spread the message that eating disorders affect people of all ethnicities, genders, body sizes, and all are deserving of care. I'm so excited for you to listen in as Amanda and I discuss ways to strengthen, deepen, and navigate your recovery from an eating disorder. Welcome, Amanda. It's so great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that intro. I am not worthy. (laughs) Absolutely you are. But it's been kind of crazy. I mean, it's been what, four or five years since you've been on the board and we met? Yeah, maybe even longer now. I think it was, yeah, 2017, so maybe six years, which is wild. It feels like a lifetime ago. I remember, you know, getting the call that you were interested in chatting, and I was just so excited because, unfortunately, like, celebrities don't often want to talk about their experience with recovery and eating disorders. And so I think we're going to have a great conversation today. But I guess to get us started, like, Take me back to the beginning. What was your experience like coming to the realization that you had an eating disorder and then your journey to recovery? Yeah, I love that question because it really was a coming to the realization. And it it actually took me a really long time to realize I had an eating disorder. And I think because at the time it was, you know, er, around like 2008, 2010, when I was kind of peak eating disorder. So it was like, happening before that, but that's when it got kind of in the red zone, I'd I'd say. And at that time, you know, there wasn't a lot of conversation about eating disorders in the public. It was, I mean, it's still heavily misunderstood, but even back then, my understanding was that uh, eating disorders were, you know, with young women who refused to eat and had to be hospitalized and fed through a feeding tube because they literally refused that was such an extreme definition of it. And that was my only understanding of it. And so therefore, I didn't think I had an eating disorder because I was still eating. Um, And uh, I, (laughs) I just thought I was really good at dieting, which is really sad that that is the understanding of dieting, because it was so disordered. But it really it, uh, it got like I said, into the red zone, um, when I moved to LA, and I was just it just got really amplified by the culture here, which here it's, it's diet culture, but I'm like, it's disordered. <laughs> and it just got to a point where I was over exercising, under eating, restricting, and I was hiking and I tripped. And because I was so, you know, low energy and also like my brain was not even really functioning. And so my, uh, I should have been able to just like catch my footing, but because I was so weakened, um, I, I tripped and I fractured my knee. 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, I always look back at that as this like divine intervention because I was, you know, numbing myself from these feelings through my eating disorder and over exercising. I was just constantly moving so I didn't have to think about anything. And this accident literally <laughs> forced me to sit with myself and <sighs> I couldn't numb out the voices. Like it was like suddenly the dial on the the radio just got turned up to full blast and it was deafening. And it was just this like wake up call for me, hearing what the thoughts were in my head, but then also taking a look at my life and what I was prioritizing, who was in my life, what I was doing in my day, how my body felt. And I remember like a week after I had fractured my leg, just one day looking at myself in the mirror and it was as if I saw myself truly for the first time and it scared the shit out of me. I don't know why that day I was able to see myself clearly because I looked the same that I had been for so long, but it was just the first time that I really saw and it was a wake up call. And that was when I realized, you know, I had a, I had a problem and I needed to do something about it. And it was, as we all know, recovery is a very slow journey, but there was something that happened in that moment where I was kind of able to just kind of snap out of some of it. And, you know, I moved out of my living situation. I, I removed some friends from my life. I kind of started to orient myself in a different direction. And, but again, I don't want to minimize how hard it was to shift the mental wiring with all of that. And that's been some of the deepest work that I've been doing. And I, and I still am, am doing that work because we're seeped in this, this culture um, that's so body obsessed and thin obsessed. Yeah, I love that. I want to dive deeper into that recovery journey and sort of realizing, okay, I have a problem to like, is this an eating disorder or two? Did you get formal treatment? Was it sort of, you know, rocky to understand like, oh, this is an eating disorder. And then what did that, what did that recovery journey look like? I had just moved to LA, I think the year before and I'm Canadian. And so I didn't have health insurance. So I couldn't access care, but I'll be honest, even if I had health insurance at that time, I don't even think I would have known how to get help because of my misunderstanding with eating disorders. My only understanding of treatment was like extreme rehab that's super, super expensive. And basically like you need to have tens of thousands of dollars to, to access. And I wouldn't even have known how to even broach that. And I fortunately had a couple people in my life who had had eating disorders. And so I just kind of started taking these baby steps with talking to people who I trusted. And it wasn't even that there was something solved by them. Like it wasn't as if they told me what to do, but it was just kind of releasing that shame and being able to admit it released some of the pressure because I think before that, I was just in such denial. So it kept going, 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 and then admitting to myself that I had a problem. This was unsustainable. This was not how I wanted to live. There was something about that that kind of shifted my mindset into a different direction. And, you know, I'm an actor, I'm creative. I think I just got creative in figuring out ways to kind of like slowly take baby steps away from this. And get myself at least out of the red where like my brain was working again Mm. and feeding myself again. And I remember that first week where I really started to nourish myself again and 
the endorphin rush I got was out of this world. And I remember clocking that being like, oh, I guess this is what it feels like <laughs> to, to nourish myself. And so that kind of gave me more encouragement to, to take those steps forward. And after a few years, I was able to um, start therapy and start doing kind of the deeper dive work as to the, the roots of this beyond the, be- the behavior, but like why what was this eating disorder trying to tell me? Like where, where, where was it stemming from? Yeah. And I imagine that working in Hollywood has been interesting as someone recovering from an eating disorder. Um, So I'm curious about like, what is that process like? And frankly, how has your own recovery impacted your career as an actor and, you know, how you think about the industry that, that you're in? Yeah, it's, it's been, challenging, but I'm also kind of grateful for it. You know, it's not probably an industry that one who's who had an eating disorder would uh, say is like a safe space for them. But I actually (laughs) think it's been great because it's really challenged me to keep going deeper and deeper into my understanding of, you know, body image and the the culture that we live in and like what counts as quote unquote beauty and and all of that. And so it's, it's been challenging at times. And especially, you know, I grew up with the movies of the early 2000s and late 90s, where it was, you know, you look at the magazines then, and I mean, not that it's great now, but especially back then, there was just a a real specific image of what it meant to be a beautiful girl. And, you know, becoming an actor, I felt like I had to kind of try and fit into that and stepping away from that felt scary at times but the more I did the more actual like true confidence I I started to gain especially now I feel like it's just the mentality of like rebelling against the system has really been a really empowering experience um, to just kind of not conform to the status quo. And there's like safety and kind of like being like, yeah, we love to diet and all of this is I don't, um, I don't find safety and belonging in that anymore. It feels like an oppressive cage. But it is it's really hard in in this industry, because it's everywhere. And, you know, I know you have kind of this surge of um, feels like we're going back to the 90s in in a certain sense with this uprising of you know, heroin chic and all of that. And it makes me really sad. It's also triggering for me because that was, that was the time that truly, um, that's the imprint that, that, that got, got me there was this kind of, um, messaging about what it meant to be beautiful and accepted and approved and validated as, as a woman. And so, I'm concerned. Yeah, I've heard half of Hollywood is on a Zembic. Like, do you feel like that's true? And and how do you how do you deal with that? I I I don't personally know anyone on a Zembic. <laughs> and here's the thing that's like I I find so jarring about the Ozempic thing is that I think we're also losing sight of the fact that a lot of people are using this medication to manage their diabetes. Now they feel like demonized for using this for 
for proper reasons. Like it's helping people with their diabetes. And so I can't imagine what that must feel like for people who are truly needing this medication. Now, as far as for people who are abusing this as a easy way to lose weight, even now I'm being, I'm triggered. <laughs> it. I know. Um, but it's, it, you know, there was, I won't name names, but there was someone in the public eye who talked about how they tried it and it was a terrible experience. And so they stopped, but that they then were injecting their friends when they came over and had no awareness of how problematic that was. And this normalization of, of this as a means to lose weight is what concerns me and how we're just kind of normalizing. Like this is a very extreme measure to lose weight. And then what I always go to after I like look at that is like, okay, right now it's Ozempic. It's going to be something else later. Let's look at the roots of this fat phobia. Why are we so obsessed with thinness and it is fat phobia and we live in like the Western culture is so fat phobic and it's got deep roots in anti-blackness and racism and this misunderstanding about health is synonymous with your weight and your, the BMI, which is a racist creation, like all of it. And so I don't care what is the current mode that is, is being kind of pushed forward as the latest trick to lose weight. Like let's look at the roots of it and that's fat phobia. And that's what needs to be talked about, but no one's talking about that. <laughs> million percent. Do you think that that has gotten any better in Hollywood or it's just getting worse? The fat phobia? I don't, I don't know. And as a thin person, I don't know if it's really my place to answer if it's getting better or worse, but I definitely think if it's gotten better, it's not enough. So let's keep talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it feels like we've made significant strides and it almost is in these times. You can look at this from the diet culture per perspective or broadly kind of political movements. Like whenever there is great progress made, there is an uprising and like remembering that there is a huge industry that is profiting heavily on us hating ourselves and like we're scaring them because the progress that we are making is scaring them and so this is because we're having progress and this is normal and we'll just continue to fight on with it absolutely i mean it's definitely being discussed way more than you know 10 years ago absolutely there was no conversation about this 10 years ago i feel like and so i feel like you know there's pros and cons to social media this is one of the pros is that this conversation is not being kind of suppressed in the media because they can't. And um, there's a lot of incredible voices who can speak very eloquently on this conversation. And I've been learning a lot. And so I am encouraged by the conversations that are, are happening. Why did you decide to get involved with Project Heal? So I had um, not been public about my eating disorder ever. And a friend of mine who is sober kind of put me on the spot and was like, why don't you talk about your eating disorder? And I, I don't even know what I said, but he really pressed me. And he was just like, I believe if you've been through something like this and you are so lucky to come out the other side, you owe it to your community to speak up about this. 
And it really resonated with me. And I had to kind of sit with like, well, why? Yeah, why haven't I? Mm. And when I broke it down, it really came to shame. Yeah. Because of this stigma and misunderstanding about what an eating disorder is. And I was worried that if I came forward, that people would think of me differently, think that I was just some kind of, you know, self-obsessed act, like the classic actor, like, oh, of course you had an eating disorder. And when I thought about that with the shame piece, I thought about me in my eating disorder and, you know, how if there were more people talking about it, that maybe I would have been able to recognize it earlier and maybe it wouldn't have gotten as, as bad as it did. And so if me speaking up about it can help one person, I know that's the most cliche thing to say, but it's true. It's just like, if it could help one person, then like, why wouldn't I? So deciding to to want to speak up about it. And so I wanted to educate myself a bit more and, and find a nonprofit that was doing work in the space. And, uh, and, you know, I met with a few, but when I met with you at Project Heal, it was just, I just loved that it, it wasn't clinical. I could feel the heartbeat and the soul of Project Heal, and I, it really resonated with me. and And haven't looked back. <laughs> we are so incredibly glad you've been such an amazing addition to the board. And I'm curious to hear what you think. I, I we've talked about how we need more people who don't fit the stereotype like we do to talk about it. I think, especially in Hollywood, and I think speaking about hard stuff has become more and more common, but it's still really not the norm for celebrities, especially those who fall outside of the stereotype to speak about eating disorders, even though they are incredibly common. Like, how do we get people to share their stories more and become advocates? I fit the stereotype. So it's not a far stretch for someone to believe my experience. But I think for people who don't fit the stereotype, this harmful stereotype of what an eating disorder looks like. I mean, the shame that I had to overcome to share, I can't imagine wanting to share your story and for people and to worry that people are not even going to believe you because you don't look like you have or had an eating disorder. You know, and that speaks to also the experience that they probably had with their eating disorder just in their personal lives. I mean, what we've heard so many times before of just, you know, doctors not believing you or prescribing you eating disorder behaviors to heal your, like, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's, it's such a problematic experience. And so I totally understand why if someone doesn't fit the stereotype, why they wouldn't want to put themselves out there to be kind of questioned in their experience. Um, So I hope that we can kind of continue to expand the understanding of what an eating disorder is so that when people say that they have or had an eating disorder, they don't have to like prove it. Yeah. That it's just like, that's your experience. That's true. Yeah. A hundred percent. No, I think that's so right on. And it's just obviously so important in that it's stories that heal people. And like you and I have had such impact on folks with our stories and we can stand up here all day and say, Black people have eating disorders, fat people have eating disorders, queer people have eating disorders, and there is nothing like a black fat queer person standing up and saying, hey, me too. Like, I struggle with this. Representation is so powerful. 
It's so powerful. I remember doing a panel on eating disorders for We Rise, mm-hmm. um, which is mental health thing in uh, event in Los Angeles, and there was someone who um, did not look like me. And after the panel, I saw these two girls run up to her because they looked just like her and open up and talk to her in a way that of course they wouldn't with me because they don't see themselves in me. And that's why it's so important is to see someone that looks like them having the experience that they're having and, and recovering and healing and coming out the other side and being like, it's possible or you're validating my experience. Like we need that. Um, and so, I mean, and the conversation is, it's, it's, I just see it so much more on social media and everything, like more and more people talking openly and it just like warms my heart and I just hope it can continue to catch fire. Let's never shut up. (laughs) You've, um, in this vein, I think you've spoken a lot about kind of showing up responsibly as someone who is thin and more privileged and a white woman in the recovery community. What does that look like for you, that showing up responsibly? Man, if I could just like have a checklist, <laughs> it would feel so much better. Um, but unfortunately, it's really messy work, but that is is the work. And I think you and I could talk about the the stereotype and why that's a problem and how it pushes certain identities out and how those identities then aren't served and all of those things that we know to be true. I think for me, the biggest work that I've done that has affected how I show up is, you know, after 2020 with the murder of George Floyd by the police, if you were white, I think you had some reckoning to do. And I took it very seriously. And I, I did a year long study with this woman named Dr. Rocio Rosales, and it was about unlearning the white colonial mind. And it was about really looking at white supremacy and the and colonization and the colonizer and how these qualities of it i think there's the extreme versions of it that we are all aware of and for me i'd be like that's not me like i'm not that so i just glaze over and absolve myself from that conversation and doing that work where you are confronted with the behaviors and mindset and qualities of white supremacy and the white colonial mind and reckoning with the ways that you have internalized it Mm -hmm. and you do embody it unknowingly and you are causing harm to some of the most challenging, but also most rewarding gift like work that I've ever done. And everything that I learned, I learned from Dr. Rocio Rosales and I, it changed my, it's like, if you can get, that's the root of it. Like that's the, the mess we're in is white supremacy. And so we are perpetuating it by not looking at it. And if looking at it for myself, then I could able, I was able to look at, okay, like, let's look at the eating disorder community. And there's people speaking about white, thin privilege. What does that actually mean? And like, why do I have that? And how can we change that? And so doing that personal work has really shifted how I I show up. And again, I wish there was like this checklist. Part of it is, is I will make mistakes. I am making mistakes, but holding myself accountable and reflecting and 
learning the importance of naming who we're learning things from. Mm -hmm. Anything I've learned about showing ethically and responsibly as a white thin woman, I did not learn from a white woman. I learned from a woman of color and marginalized identities and naming those people. So we're not continuing to perpetuate this cycle of extracting information from marginalized identities, lived experiences who are not being listened to, and then pushing them out. We saw that with the body positivity movement, which was started by black women. And then white women were like, yes, body positivity, and they were pushed out. And so it's just like, that is like, that is an example of a quality of white colonial mind, white supremacy is that extraction and exploitation. And it's been really challenging work, but has been so important and naming who you're learning from, paying who you're learning from. And also that like me talking about this right now too, this is not a celebration. This is not look at me, look how great I am. Because that again, too, is like white supremacy. It's like, this is me, like the right, that's what I learned from Dr. Rocio Rosales. It's like, that's, it's just the right thing to do divesting from that. And again, it's, it's been very profound and challenging work, but that to me is, is trying to, to show up responsibly with this unearned privilege. Who are some of the folks that you've learned the most from? My first introduction to kind of the fat phobia and the roots in anti-blackness was uh, Sabrina Strings book, Fearing the Black Body, which, uh, Rebecca, our CEO of Project Heal, told me to read. And that one really opened my eyes up to a lot of stuff. Um, so I, that book really shifted a lot for me. And then on like Instagram, there's just so many incredible people like at The Lovely Becoming. I think her name's Mimi Cole. And at Intersectional Recovery with Sophia, Sophia McHale. Benjamin O'Keefe, Whitney Trotter, the encouraging dietitian. Like there's so many great people on Instagram who are, I've been learning so much from and um, really expanding my understanding of all of this. Yeah. I think it's so important to name those folks. I also share uh, all those folks that you've said. And then my, one of my first like intros into you know, anti-fatness is anti-blackness is uh, the body is not an apology with Sonia Renee. Yes, that book is so, so good. Well, maybe, you know, shifting gears just a little bit, although I think all this has been kind of around the same, the same topic, like, how do you define recovery today? And how has that changed since getting involved with Project Heal? I think recovery for me now is just to continue to challenge the ways that I've internalized these beauty ideals and patriarchal ideals and uh, thin ideas, like all of that, just kind of, I'm always paying attention to why do I believe that? Why, why do I have that thought and kind of dismantling them within me? Like that's where I'm at, which is really exciting because it also just shows me how far I've, I've gotten with it and um, defining my worth and my value outside of my body and my appearance and even outside of my job. Like my latest thing is not outsourcing any of, of my personal worth to anything outside of me. And it's Mm -hmm. sneaky. (laughs) She's sneaky, but it's like this idea that I am just inherently worthy and good just because is 
like last year, that that was the thing I was pushing up against. And it's such a hard concept at times. It challenges me because, again, of, of the culture that we're raised in. You got to earn it. You got to show it. You got to prove it, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, what if you just were inherently worthy and good just because and not outsourcing any of that to anyone or anything or any idea or belief. And it's been wildly liberating and also challenging because we live in a culture that says the opposite. But right now I'm in my rebellious phase. I'm just rebelling against all of these kind of internalized systems and just being like, no. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's so liberating, like realizing that we have a lot of life left to live. And like, of course, this is going to be an ongoing journey. And we all enter a world. I mean, you and I have it easier than some because of the privileges that we hold. And yet we still enter into this world that is completely messed up when it comes to food and body and fat phobia. And that is something that is going to need to be a daily rebellion, as you say. And I think it's it's kind of empowering to say, we're going to continue to get stronger. Like it would be so boring if I was done with my self-work at 30, right? (laughs) I'm sure that things will keep coming at me and to continue to strengthen that is actually exciting. Yeah. And to, to add to that too, I think, you know, I have a personality type that can be quite obsessive and when I get fixated on something. And so I think when I discovered self-help and healing, there was a period where I really needed to kind of foster a relationship with myself um, to understand myself and and to not numb out these these feelings and these things. But then I think um, I can turn anything into an addiction. This year, I put myself kind of on a ban from self-help and and healing in the sense of perpetuating this narrative that I'm broken and being like, what is healing through joy? You know, what what does it mean to orient towards what is good, what feels good, that I'm allowed to just feel good because. And that again feels like such a rebellion against kind of our culture that really wants to tell us that you have to earn it and that you're bad and you need to prove that you're good and all of these things. And so it's been, it was, I will tell you, like when I realized that I was addicted to the self-help in this stage of my life and that I needed to like put the books down, put the podcast down, put the Instagram down. I actually, like I felt it was similar to when I was reckoning with my eating disorder 13 years ago. Like it, like the idea of putting this stuff down felt terrifying to me. And I could hear my thoughts, like that addict thought of like, no, like, don't take it away from me. And that's when I realized like I had to to do this to see this through because there was something that was happening. Again, it, none of that is bad, but the way that I was using it was almost just kind of keeping me in this victim mindset, this broken mindset. And it's been really, really like eye-opening and beautiful how kind of putting that stuff down and orienting towards joy as a modality to heal. I never in my wildest dreams thought that that would be, you know, part of my journey. And it's it's been incredible. And I'm so grateful that I heard that siren call within. 
I love that. I love that you talk about it. And I think it's so much more common and not talked about in eating disorder recovery. Many of us have obsessive compulsive personality is that like we can latch on to anything. And yeah, I think it can become this self-help in a way that does make you feel less than and like you're always trying to be better and improve, which kind of puts this negative onus on it. And I love instead just like I am enough just as I am and I can heal heal towards joy. I love, I love that reframing. That's so beautiful. Thanks. It's been a pleasure having you here, Amanda. I have a couple uh, more quick questions before we wrap it up. So if you could finish the following statement with your first thought. Connection is? The meaning of life. Like that. that's all that life is, is connection. And I won't go on too long about it, but like if you feel disheartened by the world right now and feel like you cannot connect with people, I hear you look out in nature like the the connection within nature is just life-giving and we have that within us too and I always try and look to nature to take notes on on how how to be and so to me connection is is life it's life body images uh, <laughs> I don't have like a rosy answer for this one <laughs> to me body image is a construct made to disconnect us from our self-worth, our self-power, our self-knowing, and all, all, all the things disconnects us from it. It's a construct, just like gender. And diet culture? Diet culture. Is also a construct created to disconnect us from our self-worth, our power, and our goodness. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. How about recovery is? whatever you want it to be. You get to define what that is. And that's when I felt the biggest shift in my recovery was kind of taking the wheel and defining what it meant for me, because I think it's such a personal thing. And I think a big part, at least of my eating disorder, was being a good girl. And good girls are really obedient and they follow the rules. And so you tell me what a recovery is and I'll do that. Mm-hmm. You tell me what, you know, my beauty supposed to, my body's supposed to look like, I'll do that. And I think that it's such, again, this rebellion thing's really coming up a lot, but to rebel against, there's a Walt Whitman quote. It's like something like, take everything you learned in the books and in school, whatever insults your soul, like reject it. And so if something doesn't resonate with you about what someone's telling you recovery is, then, then throw it away. It gets to be whatever you want it to be. And you get to change your mind. We don't have to hold ourselves to ideas from our past selves. Like you get to, to change your mind whenever you want to. So um, that to me is, is what recovery is. Ugh, I love that. I love that. How can all of our listeners stay in touch with you? I'm only on Instagram at Amanda Crew with a C and I'm not on it too often, but if you DM me, I do, I do read them. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today and for all the incredible work you've put out into the world and being a voice of recovery. I so appreciate what you do, what you've done with Project Heal and the difference that you're making. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. This was an incredible conversation. Very grateful. Thank you for listening to Equipped to Recover. 
Remember, recovery is not only possible, it is worth it. Find out more about Equip and how you can access treatment that works over at equip.health.